When you look at Poolbet and their ownership GAN, when they did the acquisition late 2020, the stock price was at $27. Today, it's under a dollar. When those things start happening and shareholders get restless, I feel like you start managing quarter to quarter. And that's really tough to do in our industry specifically. You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on LinkedIn Audio. Follow Steve on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Welcome, everybody. It's Thursday, March 16th. You're with us on LinkedIn Audio for the Gaming News Canada show. I'm your host, Steve McAllister. In the words of Graham Norton, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Took a hiatus last week while we were in New York for the iGaming Next and SBJ Tech Week conferences. We've had some others on the road as well. Will Hill, the Vice President of Business Development at uh, Sightline Payments, is back from the New Horizons and Responsible Gambling Conference in Vancouver. So, Will, great to have you uh, back here with us. Amanda Brewer, the Canadian country manager for kinder group is is back with us and uh chris abbott the canadian country manager for botano i think believe chris was in europe for at least a week great to, great to have you back with us this week we've got a really busy hour i know i say that every every week but it tends to be true and we're going to start with headlines a little birdie tipped me off this morning just before we hit the publish button on the on the newsletter that um cool bet is going to be the first i'm not sure if casualty is the right word but uh, Coolbet announced that it's going to be leaving the Ontario market uh, effective April 1st. Uh, the company posted a blog on their website this morning with, with details on its exit strategy for, for customers. So you can find the link to that in the newsletter or go directly to, to coolbet.ca. Man, I'll start with you. You know, I did see a, a Twitter post that, that suggested that this was kind of the first domino to fall. Do you do you think it's a bit early for that, or, or do you think that's a fair tweet? Uh, I think that's a fair tweet. And one of the things we've talked about since even before the market opened was the need to make the entry into this market both affordable, um, so you weren't just getting the same operators that you see in the States that have sports betting in the States, but this was a market that could be open and accessible uh, to operators of different shapes and sizes. Um, the other thing that we have talked about is the need to make this market fair for those operators of different shapes and sizes. And given a lot of the charges that have landed in the first year, we've you know talked about regulatory recovery fees, which the AGCO bills every six months. We talked about the unexpected you know invoice that every operator who was in the market before December 31st just received from IGO, thanks to Scotiabank. Um, so there are a, a lot of costs that come with being in this market. And if you are a smaller operator, if you're an operator who didn't have any, you know, gray market presence ahead of time, if you're an operator that didn't come in sort of equipped to manage all of this, then I think it's going to be unfortunate, but cool bet is probably not going to be the first operator we see exit. And I think the other part of it is it's unfortunate it's going to be some of the smaller, more unique um, operators that probably had some great features that, you know, would actually allow them to set themselves apart from kind of the traditional big five or six guys. So I'm, I, I don't think this is something necessarily to celebrate, but it is unfortunately just the reality of being in a highly competitive and also pretty expensive market right now in North America. Chris Abbott, I know I know you feel the same way. You you spent almost three years with uh, with Coolbet as their director of North America. I think all of us that have been following this industry the past couple of years and even before that, when when Coolbet was operating, 
in the in the gray market. Like this is a company that's in, invested money in, in partnerships, and I thought Coolbet had actually been one of the more responsible operators on the brand ambassador front with with their uh, their sponsorship with Andre DeGrasse. To Amanda's point, I, I know that this this isn't news that you're that you're celebrating, even though you are you do work for a competitor now. I mean, for sure, it's not something I'm celebrating. In fact, it's it's a sad day for me. I mean, um, a lot of good people I work with there. Um, but yeah, you know, Amanda's right. It is a smaller operation. It's uh, it does have unique features. I mean, it, it it hit them a bit hard with the cost of operating here because their model is kind of slow growth, slow steady growth. There was never when we were there. Um, cracking the whip we need this many registrations we need this we need this you know people will find us people will like us people will stay and and people who join you know it's like the old alexander keats commercial right those who liked it liked it a lot and and i've heard some you know some now former customers today that were were pretty bummed about it but you know uh from a business perspective their strategy was um you know low vig sports betting which in this market is uh it's dangerous um, and you know, they never had big marketing budgets. I was proud of what we were able to do at the time. And, and the guys, after I left, were, I saw some really cool stuff that they were doing this year, knowing that, you know, they only had a fraction of the money to work with that, that some other operators do. So yeah, it's, it, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, they've, they've, I don't know, I, I guess grown in the Canadian marketplace. They were a gray market operator before. A lot of people think it's a local brand, which it's not. It's it's a European brand. But um, yeah, it's it's tough. I, I feel for them. Well, Hilda, you want to get in on this one as well? Yeah. Um, before all else, um, uh, like Chris just mentioned a moment ago, sending my very best wishes to the people that, that uh, have worked locally for, for Coolbet uh, and that distinctive uh, Polar Bear logo. Um, I think they actually did a really good job. Um, you know, the strategic mar- marketing partnerships they struck with Andre de Grasse, with the Toronto Rock, with Taylor Pendrith of this PGA um, in local curling, uh, they were doing their very best um, to get eyeballs uh, on that polar bear. Um, and uh, um, this, is, this is tough news to swallow, not unexpected, um, that uh, uh, we've always discussed that even as the market grows in terms of its total handle or in, total, in terms of total revenue, um, that there are going to be winners and losers along the way. Um, and, and sadly, um, this is uh, a day when, when Coolbet actually uh, joins the ranks of the losers. I, the, the, technically, I, I believe they're not the first. Um, back around Christmas, I recall a, a company named Press Enter uh, shuttered its Nitro a casino brand um, right around uh, the Christmas break, actually. Uh, so it got very little attention, but technically, I think they were the first company uh, to withdraw from Ontario's market, uh, and there likely will be more. Um, and so, uh, we'll brace ourselves for the news. And, and you know, unfortunately, at a time when recessionary headwinds are blowing, um, it's never good to talk about businesses shutting down and potentially people being put out. Uh, but hopefully, the people from Coolbet who did some pretty cool, interesting, and, and, and fun things uh, will find other opportunity within the broader industry. Chris, is this a case of, of again, because your Botano is a bit of a latecomer where um, there's you've already, the company's already made commitment that you're in for, for 2023 and, and you're moving ahead where you know, perhaps a business like Amanda is a kindred. They've been in the market for a year now, and they're they're in a different place when it comes to evaluating their plans moving forward. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I can tell you right away, you know, it's been not even six months for us. And it, it, it's eye-opening to see, you know, I think a lot of operators, clearly, you know, however many there is now, um, thought that Ontario was going to be a, a land of milk and honey. Um, and and it's, a, it's a challenging market, uh, largely because of the competition. I mean, the tax rate is not crazy. Um no, nobody likes to pay it if you're a, a traditional gray market operator, but it's not crazy, especially when you look at a place like New York where it's 51%. Um, you know, I think there will be plenty of companies that reevaluate their stance. For us, um, you know, we're in. We, we are in. We're looking for more investment opportunities. We, um, we're privately owned, though, and I think that makes a big difference. When you look at Coolbet and their ownership at GAN, um, when they did the acquisition in late 2020, the stock price is at $27. Today, it's under $1.40. Um, when those things start happening and shareholders get restless, I feel like you start managing quarter to quarter. And that's really tough to do in uh, in our industry specifically, and, and I would presume in most. So I think that's another factor to this um, to this whole cool bet thing. I mean, the product itself, uh, you know, nothing wrong with it. In fact, I think casino-wise, they have one of the best. Um, I think there's there's other factors at play for for why they make this decision as well. Amanda, I know we, you know we do have listeners to the podcast and and here on LinkedIn Audio on Thursdays who who are still relatively new to the industry, and uh, we probably haven't brought it up for a while. But the the fact that there was an established gray market that probably means that companies have to have a little bit of patience or have a, a longer runway because there there were established operators in this market where that. That hasn't been the case uh, across most parts of the U.S. Yeah, you're right. Um, and, you know, we're almost a year into it now. So I think for those who came in, the ones that had the bigger, you know, gray market pre-regulation presences um, have probably managed to hold on to a lot of them. But, you know, you can kind of look at because we all get reports, different analytic reports. Um, you can kind of look at some of the challenging brands that have come in, like FanDuel, the Score Bet, BetMGM, who've really done a great job at coming in. You know, they've signed the lucrative partnerships. They've offered really aggressively, um, started with bonuses, um, and they've, they've managed to carve out really nice, strong niches for themselves. So, you know, whether or not that gray market advantage worked long-term for every operator that was gray, in, you know, Compared to where they all sit today, um, I think that's probably a very mixed bag. Um, but some have really been able to capitalize it because they were the bigger and better known brands, you know, to begin with. Um, but, it, you know, the challenge here and, you know, for some operators, it's going to be really hard because of the lack of bonuses and inducements. That's a restriction that cur- currently exists. And I don't see the AGCO having appetite to change that in the near future. So you are having to come up with different ways to attract customers. And, you know, some companies are going to be able to come in here and spend a lot of money and a lot of them won't. Some companies are going to be able to be really profitable with a very small percent of market share and others won't. So, you know, it's the unfortunate part of a new market that launches and everyone's fighting for some pole position and, you know, the marketing dollars are not equal, you know, the budgets are not equal. Um, and, you know, it's just the way it's just the way it goes. You know, we're not unique in this industry to, to what's happening in the cannabis industry. And I think we've talked before about needing to get to the first anniversary before we kind of see where the dust settles in this market. And, you know, I just hope we don't have too many more that have to follow. Um, but I think the reality is if you've 
just come into the market or you haven't come in yet and you want to, you have to make sure you can be profitable with a really tiny percent of the market share. Unless you're going to come in guns and blazing and trying to take market share away from, you know, FanDuel, DraftKings, and BetMGM. Right, right. And I'll, I'll just wrap up this story and, and, you know, to paraphrase Amanda, Will, and, and uh, Chris, the three of you, I think, you know, at the end of the day, pe- people are losing their jobs here and that, that shouldn't be that shouldn't be lost here. And, and uh, uh, you know, we're, we're hoping that we can, we can play a role uh, with, with finding people, uh, new work in this industry. And again, if you don't get the newsletter, we, we have a pretty ro- robust uh, job section in the newsletter every week. Thanks to people like Will and, and Chris and Amanda, we, we do have a pretty wide network across LinkedIn and other, other forums as well. So, uh, if you uh, if you're speaking to someone at Cool Better, or if you're a Cool Better employee, listens to this podcast, please uh, please let us know, and and we'll do what we can do uh, to to help you with uh, with the next chapter in your uh, in your professional lives. Um, Want to move to the uh, the main story in, in Tuesday's newsletter? Um, the Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario announcing on Tuesday morning that uh, Tom Mungham will be retiring this fall as the uh, as the commission's registrar and chief executive officer, uh, the AGCO board have made it clear that they'll they'll start looking for a, re- a replacement uh, right away. Um, again, it didn't. I, I've only met Tom a couple times. Had a chance, I think, to meet him briefly at, at ICE last month, and, and may have met him at the Canadian Gaming Summit last year. But uh, you're talking about a person who's been with the AGCO for almost 17 years. Uh, worn a variety of hats with with the commission, and, and more recently led the I guess the charge to the open sports betting and iGaming market that we we've seen here in Ontario. Well, maybe I'll just start with you without putting you on the spot. Just maybe evaluate Tom's uh, you know Tom's role with with the AGCO and establishing this industry. Will this be a tough job for the AGCO to fill? To answer that, first let me flash back. Because when I first started at OLG at the end of 2009, I had the great benefit of almost being immediately introduced uh, to the three top officers at the AGCO, who were then uh, Jean Majeur, Don Bourgeois, and George Swinney, three of the best people that I've met, not just in this industry, but but just generally speaking, three outstanding individuals. And, and as they each moved on to, to new things, um, I, I, I wondered openly, you know, how do you replace a trio like that? Well, Along comes the likes uh, of, of Tom Mungum um, and Dave Phillips um, and Brent McCurdy, um, and the AGCO has remained in all too capable hands. You know, very, very top-notch people um, as regulators uh, with a view not into uh, the gaming industry, but also the, the sale and s- uh, responsible service of beverage alcohol, cannabis, horse racing. Um, they do an excellent job there, and, and witness... Uh, in 2022, uh, the International Association of Gaming Regulators uh, presented the agency with uh, its award for overall global excellence. Um, so uh, let's start right there and, and acknowledge that the AGCO has long had excellent leadership, continues to have excellent leadership, um, and um, given that they know what they're doing up there, um, I quite think that they'll find a capable replacement, um, whether it's someone that comes internally uh, or someone that they, they bring in um, externally through an executive search. Um, I think the, uh, the good folks up there at Young and Shepherd uh, will continue to do, to do great things. Um, specific to Tom, um, an absolute gentleman. 
and and that's a ta- that's a phrase that that gets thrown around rather loosely and liberally, um, but it, absolutely it totally fits Tom Mungum. Just an absolute gentleman, a kind soul, um, and uh, uh, he will be sorely missed um, as he uh, he moves on to, uh, to to new and different things uh, in his retirement. So, um, I absolutely wish him the very best. Um, not only you know, and thank him not only for 17 distinguished years at uh, the AGCO, uh, but 33 years in public service in Ontario. I mean, well done, Tom. Uh, man, I'm thinking that with your with your role with the Canadian Gaming Association over the past, that you've you've probably had a few uh, a few conversations with Tom. Yes, uh, I was shocked Tom was old enough to retire, and uh, I hope everyone uh, tells him the same thing. He's he's <laughs> as Will said. I mean, one of the kindest, most considerate uh, people that I've ever had the pleasure of working with, um, and just always someone who had time. And I think that was one thing that Tom. Really, you know, he stood out with just his his openness, his his willingness to meet, his willingness to speak and engage. And you probably, if you were an operator participating in the consultation phases prior to this market opening up, you would have seen that uh, in evidence in spades. Um, and Tom, if you knew his predecessor, whom we'll mention, Jean Major, um, really picked up sort of really picked up where Jean left off because Jean was the force that started the modernization process and the transition of the regulator into an outcomes-based versus a prescriptive-based regulator, really modernizing their approach to regulation. Um, and if you look at what Tom dealt with, you know, sort of in, in the time that he was CEO, the cannabis legislation, online gaming, and these were these were regulations they had to develop out of nowhere and, you know, with Ontario really leading the charge on this. So I think he can be quite proud of the work he's accomplished and the legacy he will leave. And yeah, certainly hoping that there will be um, someone that can step in just the way uh, Tom did for Jean that will be able to step in for Tom. And there's certainly a few internal candidates that uh, I think would be quite appropriate to to take over that uh, that role in the fall. Chris, have you had a chance to, to cross paths on a few occasions with Tom? No, I actually have not had the pleasure, but uh, certainly everyone is entitled to uh, get out of Dodge whenever they want when they get to this. Uh, they get to this level. Uh, obviously, it'll be a challenge to to replace such an important position and and somebody's experience along there. So it is a critical time for the um, for the agency, and I, and I hope that they're able to um, to get through the transition process smoothly. Um, we, we did actually, we did reach out to the AGCO and tried to get Tom to join us today, but he, he politely declined through, uh, through Ray Connard at, uh, at the commission. But, uh, uh, we're, we're going to try, we'll get Tom on here at some point, maybe over, over the summer around the, uh, the Canadian gaming summit or, or before he leaves the office, uh, later this summer. So look forward to having him on here and i think i'm hoping we'll run into tom and it's a nice segue to to our next headline that on april 4th uh, because the canadian gaming association is gonna host kind of a one day i guess mini conference to to celebrate the one year anniversary of the ontario market and uh you know an interesting i, I think paul burns and and his people have set up a pretty interesting day um uh shelly white the ceo of the responsible gambling council is gonna gonna do uh lead a panel on responsible gambling 
uh, Catherine McLeod, the president and CEO on Think TV, is going to steer a conversation around uh, around advertising the industry, which we all know. And anybody who's been with us on Thursday afternoons that, that that's a hot button issue for the industry. Uh, there's going to be a, a keynote session featuring on Ontario's industry leaders, which is going to be led by Jeff Harrison Deloitte. And uh, Doug Downey, the, the Attorney General of Ontario, is scheduled to, uh, to deliver uh, closing remarks that, that day. So, um, you know, I think, Amanda, like we, as we discuss here, as we write in the newsletter, there, there certainly are some challenges in the industry right now. But I, I also think that there is reason uh, to look back at the first 365 days of this regulated industry, and there's there's lots to uh, lots to celebrate, and you know something as simple as as you and and Will and Chris and and the good people that we've had the good fortune to to spend time with the last two years, and and people around the industry and the jobs that have been created. Uh, you know, I, I do think that April 4th is is a day to, for everybody to you know shake hands and high five and, and take a bit of a bow. Listen, no one, no one thought that when this market opened, there wouldn't be some some bumps along the road. And, uh, you know, we have discussed in the past that speed to market, speed to open at some point became more important than getting everything 100% right. So, you know, if you're an operator in this market, you are certainly aware of what the pain points are. The good news is there aren't a ton of them. There are a few of them, but there aren't a ton. But I agree. I hope when we come together on the 4th, um, it's a day of celebration because, you know, to your point, the, the people who now have jobs, the economic activity that is, you know, really flourishing in this province, the fact that we have a lot of people in school programs now that are looking at this industry and, and really seriously considering trying to find employment in it. I think these are all really positive things. So we can, you know, put aside our, our, our you know, our problems for a day and really just come together and just celebrate. Very nice to said. Chris? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Amanda hit the hit the nail on the head there. Of course, there's always going to be pain points, and and there's people who work uh, and make a living on different sides of everything uh, that constitutes the the industry. However, uh, I don't think anyone could argue that where we are today is is way better than where we were a year ago. Um, you know, regulation is a good thing. Uh, it gives players protection. It gives uh, oversight on operators. Um, it, it's, it's a really, really positive thing. So, um, unfortunately I won't be there. I'm going to see Mickey and Minnie in the first week of April. So I won't, I won't be around, but, um, you know, I think it is a good day to, to reflect and celebrate and, and, you know, the things we bring up and the things that are pain points, um, we're all naturally going to look at the negative stuff when we don't always celebrate the, the wins, uh, you know, as much as we uh, focus on on the uh, the issues that need addressing, so no, listen, it's a, it's a it's a great time, and I'm so happy to be a part of it, and I'm I'm glad uh, I'm glad things have gone as smoothly as they have. I think even when there's issues, um, at least there's a line of communication there, and whether that's through the Canadian Gaming Association or the willingness of IGO to speak to operators directly and transparently, uh, you know, I'm I'm on board with it, and I, I think it's a great thing. Well, I'm I'm sure you have a thought or two here. Well, I'm only coming if there's pizza, cake, and really cool loot bags afterwards. <laughs> uh, but no, in, in all seriousness, co-signed to, to what Amanda said about the idea of new jobs and economic development uh, in, in this province, uh, I just sort of think of, as to where we sit on April 4th, 2023, we'll have repatriated 
hundreds of millions of dollars um, and put new consumer protections in place. Um, and, and those dollars that used to disappear into the ether um, to uh, offshore destinations can now be repurposed to provincial priorities. Um, and at the same time, you can create a better environment uh, for players that are seeking online entertainment. So um, wins uh, almost all the way around. And yes, um, as we've remarked many times, it's a qualified success, um, but I would say a success nonetheless. And, and I would underline in that phrase, un uh, qualified success, I would underline the word success twice. I, I know, I think the three of us have talked about, uh, you know, being a little bit suffering from conference fatigue, but I, I will admit it, it is going to be great to, uh, it will be great to be in Toronto on the and forth and, and see people and, and listen to some of the panel discussions and, and Chris, I'm sorry, we're going to, we're going to miss you there, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that day. And, and we'll uh, obviously in the newsletter leading up to the fourth, we'll, we'll have some thoughts and have a bit of fun looking, looking at the next, uh, the looking at the next 12 months. Um, I want to move south of the border for a couple of minutes. And the big story last week in, in the United States was the, the launch of uh, Massachusetts uh, online betting market uh, last Friday. Uh, GeoComply put out a press release on Monday morning uh, saying that, that it had recorded just over 8 million geolocation transactions across the state on, on the opening weekend. Um, again, if you have a chance and can find it uh, on, on LinkedIn, you might want to check John Pappas's LinkedIn account. I think John's got uh, posted the, another cool gift from GeoComply with all the activity across the state on, on one of those days, I think, on Saturday. So that, that's a worse see. Um, you know, like we just talked about with Ontario, there there are some lingering issues. Not surprising, getting out of the gate. Um, Barstool Sports announced, uh, I think maybe yesterday, the day before, that it was putting its uh, can't lose parlays um, product on on hold because of some concerns by the Massachusetts Gaming Commission. Um, DraftKings co-founder Matt uh, Kalish took a took down a tweet. <laughs> Right before market launch for for tweeting out an uh, an f bomb taking taking a bit of a shot at at, at DraftKings so um, obviously um, you know DraftKings being based based in Boston they they really feel that they they have a home field advantage so I guess Matt got caught up in the moment there um, at iGaming Next last week the CEO of BetMGM Adam Greenblatt he mentioned that uh, you know the BetMGM has a new partnership deal with the Boston Red Sox and. Um, there are some concerns from the Gaming Commission there, again, or, around uh, advertising and, and Fenway Park because, uh, of course, we all know not, not every fan of the Major League Baseball game is over 21 years old. So, Amanda, Chris, or, or Will, any, any thoughts on, uh, on Massachusetts or, or anything that stuck out to you? And, and Chris, maybe I'll start with you. And if, if you don't have anything, that's, that's fine. <laughs> No, I mean, uh, I, I chuckled at your at your uh, comment about the tweet. I think uh, I think there's also a lot of pressure on a lot a lot of people in these companies as uh, these states launch because it's it's big money and it's big risk, and and they're seeing more um, uh, kind of more breaks put on what they've traditionally been able to do uh, by regulators. So uh, be curious to see, watch and see how how those companies adapt. Yeah, well. Yeah. So while you mentioned iGaming Next in New York, I was three time zones away at uh, New Horizons and Responsible Gambling, uh, hosted by BCLC out in Vancouver, um, and listened there to a panel that um, included two representatives from the Massachusetts Council on Gaming and Health. So they were speaking 
um, in Vancouver the week before, you know, all of this was set to happen uh, back home. Uh, and, and they were both guardedly optimistic uh, and, and quite excited about uh, what this would mean. They've, of course, uh, the Massachusetts Council on, on, on Health has, has worked um, in casinos um, with BCLC's GameSense program for, for many years, it sounds like. Um, and so they're now going to apply the same principles uh, to player protections um, as it relates to online gaming. Um, and so uh, they, they were quite excited. Uh, it's, uh, it's a new time in, in Boston um, and across the, uh, the great state. Um, and uh, likely will sort of engender the same kind of excitement that we've seen elsewhere um, through the northeastern United States. With apologies uh, from my dog, Cleo, uh, getting rather excited here as uh, uh, my wife and kids have just come through the door. I, 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 thought we, I thought we were supposed to bet on the underdogs if the dogs were barking here this <laughs> afternoon. That was a March Madness thing. <laughs> Yes, I have a rather excitable dog, uh, and excitable <laughs> by that I mean uh, she often seems like she just drank like a ca big can of Red Bull. <laughs> it's, it's in the genes, Will. Uh, Amanda, any thoughts on Massachusetts? Uh, yeah, I guess uh, welcome, Massachusetts. It's always great to have another state, um, you know, put legislation down and bring in licensed regulated operators uh kindred did not seek a license because it's sportsbook only so uh for us you know the investment going forward is really multi-product so having to have the casino launching at the same time as uh the sports um i guess the only other thing too is like you know the concern with the sports books um only states is you know you just see a repetition of the same operators that are already operating in other states so whether that ends up being enough to satisfy customers, time will tell. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it does. Um, but again, you know, it just, it, it still feels like a bit of a head scratcher as they're building the legislation for sports that they're not including casino because in Ontario, iGaming covers all of it. There's not a separate set of legislation. Well, sorry, let me take that back. When you say iGaming, it encompasses sports, poker, and, and casino products. So the sports book legislation is built into the overall standards. It's not like there's individual ones for all three of them. So hopefully more and more states will realize that it's not... Oh, that, and there goes, there goes my sister's dog. It's not that scary to dip your, your toe into, uh, dip your toe into the, to the water on the casino side. That's too much of a sign. I'm going to bet all the underdogs on the board for the rest of the day. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not even my dog. It's my sister Schnoodle, who's like, you know, 10 pounds and thinks he's 50 pounds and has to save us all from, you know, blowing leaves and squirrels. So anyway, he's all yours if you want him. Chris, I was just going to say, like, I, I want to redo my bracket now because I don't think I pick one underdog, and there, there's obviously there's obviously a sign here, so I, I may I may as well just hand over my money before we even get going here. Well, um, Steve, you, you might as well do that anyway. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, that's that, that's true too. Um, listen, I want to get all three of your thoughts on this, and and there was a bit of a brouhaha last week, and and it seemed to die down pretty quickly, but. Um, uh, Contessa Brewer and, and her producer at CNBC had a, a bit of a scoop. I, I think it was Wednesday afternoon that uh, WWE, they were making the case that their bouts are, are kind of a, like uh, along the same lines. They compared themselves with the Oscars. But Chris, maybe you can maybe just shine a little more light on this and, and, and what, your, what your thoughts are as a sportsbook operator. Well, I mean, in a, in a year where we've had a lot of integrity concerns come forward uh, with the UFC, who you mentioned earlier, uh, I mean, no. I, I, listen, I do think there's, there's, um, 
I think there's room for this as a novelty prop um, market, and it has been going on for a long time. Like you've been able to bet on the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania and these things at at, at books, um, mostly offshore, I, I guess. Now that I think about it, but anyhow, you know, it would be capped at a fifty or hundred dollar limit or whatever. Um, but but no, to to try and um, make legitimate something that's scripted as as a as a sports betting option i mean obviously you you just can't do that it's 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 the non-starter but the fact that the wwe would want to get their hands on on the money doesn't surprise me they've already had DraftKings as a sponsor in some of their broadcasting for the last couple of years on on free-to-play events and i'm sure uh, they were looking to you know see if they could uh, get away with it but clearly nobody was having it right amanda uh, i can't add anything to what chris said because he said it perfectly yeah, I'm thinking. Uh, well, I'm thinking you're probably you're probably echo echo Amanda's thoughts. Oh, 100. You know, the WWE has millions and millions. Sorry, I'm just channeling the Rock for a moment <laughs> of fans. Uh, but the moment any of those people actually get their hands on the pre-scripted outcomes, uh, the integrity of, of the larger sportsbook operation starts to get chipped away, if not fall away entirely. Uh, and that's the bottom line. Well, the sport has been the same for me since Georgie Animal Steel retired. So there you go. Um, Will, I, I know you can you you drop a that's the bottom line on March 16th. It is Stone Cold Day. So there you have it. Thank you, my friend. I'm glad you're picking up on my pop culture references. Uh, <coughs> kick saving a beauty. Um, l- l- I want to move over, uh, dedicated some space in the newsletter this morning. Um, one of the panels I, I listened to last week at iGaming Next was um, a panel with. Uh, uh, Casey Brett from Major League Baseball, Eric Rimsky from the NBA, and, and David Highhill from the NFL. And, um, you know, it was a, in the news, I was a bit of a kind of a sports betting 101 for, for people that, that don't know the history of, of, you know, 10 years ago, leagues were coming out against sports betting. Um, once uh, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned PASPA in 2018, all of a sudden sports leagues were on board with sports betting. And those three leagues actually have sports betting executives now. So it was an interesting discussion on the the, the merger of, of media betting and the relationships between the books and the teams and the leagues and the broadcasters. And, um, you know, and again, a lot of fan engagement was a term that was used a lot during that during that half hour. But, I, I, I you know, as someone who's worked in sports media for the most of my career, it was an interesting discussion. But I, I want to get Mark Silver from Parlay Media Group in here because Mark was at the was at iGaming Next last week, also spent some time at SBJ Tech Week, and then he was back in New York at the beginning of the week for the, the Sports Pro OTT USA Conference. And, Mark, I know you discussions with people in the betting space i believe there was a panel there as well um focus on sports betting and and maybe you can men- talk about a few of the takeaways that you got from from the ott conference yeah thanks steve and luckily i'm not going back to new york next week so it'll be good to be home listen eric was back at uh at this other event this week sports pro ott summit you know it was it was amazing to hear him speak about how the nba is treating sports betting as not just on their own platforms, but with their partner platforms and broadcasters. I mean, the words that Eric used were, you know, it's, a, it's an opt-in experience. So whether that's, you know, consuming betting content on NBA digital properties or consuming a, a broadcast, which is more of their, their watch and bet product, it's something that consumers have to seek out. They really appreciate that they can't just take over their main 
digital and broadcast platforms and integrate betting extensively into it, that they need to create that dividing line for fans who are not interested in that experience to have an experience that they are interested in. And I think a completely different example, but I think, you know, what the NHL did this week to try and engage a a younger demographic in the game by, you know, animating. And I'm sure we all saw that on on our social feeds, even if we didn't watch it live. You know, just another glaring example about leagues. Leagues have got to be obviously increasing their revenue, taking advantage of the partnerships that they've established with operators and data companies and what have you. But they also need to be getting new fans. And because of the regulation, because of responsible gaming, because of the age of those new fans, they absolutely need to be protected. Their parents need to be protected. And uh, you know, credit to the NBA for what they've already put in place. And you know, the NHL, I, uh, I didn't watch the broadcast, like I said, but I assume it was not loaded with odds as, you know, children watched an animated version of a live game. No, and I will say, Mark, I actually driving into the Toronto yesterday to go to the Leafs game last night. Ray Ferrar was on the fan 590 talking about the experience and he, he gave it two thumbs up. And Ray, as any of us who cover follow hockey, you know, it can be it can be a little bit crusty at times. So to, to get two thumbs up from Ray Ferrero, that's that's, that's pretty solid validation uh, i want to get a man and chris in here for a second just as as people who work for for um owners across the pond um you know we tend to focus a lot on this topic in, within north america and the professional sport leagues here um but chris is, is it's are you having those conversations with the people at Kazen and and do you are they having the same conversations and and trying to create the same kind of strategy in in Europe, whether it's as soccer or you know European handball or tennis or other sports, where where they're also knocking around, you know, trying to trying to find the best way possible to integrate betting information with with a uh, with a live game experience. Yeah, I think. Um you know, I, I feel like it's a little bit more of a North American concept than it is for the folks in Europe. Um, but again, I haven't lived over there, so I don't know for sure. But it's not something that comes up a whole lot. I, I find with our European counterparts, it's still a lot more about you know getting on the front of the soccer jersey, um, being on a, a hockey uniform, you know, how they're all, all tricked out with all the advertisements over there. So that's mostly what we've seen so far. Um, when it comes to betting integrations into the broadcast, I think some maybe some more traditional uh, and, and longer served betting places like Europe, uh, yeah, maybe they, they already know about it or they already, you know, one, one of the, the, some of the feedback I get from our group is, is, you know, really how North America is still emerging in its, in its uh, consumption of sports betting content and, and how, you know, the odds of a game are being fed to the consumer. I, I feel like in Europe, people know you can bet on the game. They know where to go to bet on the game. They don't need it in their broadcast as much. So that's, that's kind of the, the feeling that I've received so far, I think. And we've talked about it on this show before. You know, a lot of us um, that are advertising in, in Ontario, I'll use as an example, or you can even say the United States, are jamming odds and, and terminology down the throats of the consumer who might not know what any of this means. So, you know, we've talked about the education piece on here before, and I think that should be where we take a step back and, and use that as part of the, um, you know, airtime that's spent uh, with, with, with betting companies for now. Amanda, are you you having the same kinds of conversations with Chris as it relates to you know people with Kinder Group across the pond? 
Uh, a bit. I mean, it, you have to remember culturally, you know, gaming, online gaming is way more mainstream because it's been legal way longer in, I'll just use the UK than it has been anywhere in North America. And I think part of the challenge is, I mean, I remember in the early days of trying to get our sports betting legislation here, I mean, I joke, but I pretty much should have had a shrine to Adam Silver up because seeing the attitudes of the leagues change from the first time they appeared before the Senate to the second time, I mean, that was really Adam who was the tipping point. Um, and, you know, now we're kind of having challenges because if you look at the leagues, you know, you look at the problems we're having with, you know, some pushback against some of the NHL players appearing in advertising while the NHL doesn't actually prohibit that. Whereas the NBA does and the NFL does using the use of active athletes. So you also have kind of disparity amongst the different leagues in terms of, you know, who can do what and how and where and when. So, you know, I think, you know, Chris, I believe said it, you know, some operators are looking at North America as a land of milk and honey. And I think, you know, a lot of the businesses that are not super, you know, well-versed in online gaming, this is, this is new for them, um, have tried to jump in with both feet without giving a lot of consideration to what they claim as fan engagement, because I think, if they're not used to it, they don't know how to do it properly, it actually becomes fan disengagement. And there's not everybody who wants to see the odds popping up. It's not everyone who every time there's there's a break and play has a head pop up to start talking about these things. Um, we're not used to it, but maybe it's also not being done in a way that is feeling like like it's a seamless part of or the sport you're viewing and watching too. So, I mean, Steve, we've talked about this a lot. I, I still think there's a long way to go before this does become something that feels wholly integrated into our viewing experience. But I think in our rush to try to, you know, and I, you know, I'm, I'm lumping everyone in this category, the rush to try and make money off of this, um, not understanding how consumers who've never seen this before would want to have this information received. Um, I think, you know, there were some errors in judgment made or some rush decisions made. And I think, you know, it's going to take some time. That's all yeah. time. Uh, to that, to, to Amanda's uh, points, Mark, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, that all three, that the three league reps mentioned last week at iGaming Next was again, the kind of that second screen experience or, or you know, it wasn't necessarily about driving sports fans to betting. In some cases, it was actually, you know, driving bettors who might might not bet a lot on baseball to get those people to, you know, watch a game on MLB.tv, for example, or, or to uh, to buy a ticket to a, to a game. Um, so, but and the, the common theme was that there, as Amanda mentioned, there's, this is still very early, early stages, and and they're still learning. But I know that second screen experience and and kind of the game away from the game that that's something that that even we've discussed internally within Parley Media Group. Yeah, Steve. It, I mean, I'm going to talk for a bit about some stuff that maybe half of us don't care about, but but I, I want to illustrate Amanda's point because Amanda raises a great point. You know. Jumping from just watching a broadcast to watching embedding in a broadcast in an interactive experience like that is a huge leap. Even if it's a kind of this opt-in experience that I mentioned that the NBA likes to explain how they get people into betting. But there was an example at the show. So there was a very successful Canadian broadcast technology company called Everts. And they acquired uh, over the last couple of years a, a European kind of personalization engagement platform called Ease Live. And... Uh, 
These are all publicly available information, press releases. So at, at this event at Sports Pro OTT, and maybe just because I'm the Canadian in the room, I pay a little more attention to it. But Ease Live was demoing this immersive experience with stats and player information, very similar to those of us who go exploring in Amazon Prime when we're watching a video, if everyone can visualize that. So Ease Live was, was demonstrating that on top of Blue Jays baseball. So you put two and two and three together, you have a Canadian-based company, they're showing Blue Jays baseball on Rogers as a demo, they're showing their overlays. So I think that we may sooner rather than later be seeing that kind of immersive first screen experience through, let's call it web, mobile, maybe connected TV apps of Rogers Sportsnet. And, and that's kind of the first step. And let's call that kind of on par to what we all accept when we're watching Amazon Prime. And, and maybe Amanda, <laughs> at some point, bringing betting into that in a personalized opt-in way so that we have authenticated the user, the person who should be betting. Um, may, maybe that is all possible. But it starts with this first, this first leap of bringing it into regular programming that gives, you know, let's call it Sportsnet Now, a value proposition for someone to actually pay for that service uh, rather than just you know, watch the highlights on social and then adds value to the viewing experience uh, before we take that next step and make it about placing a bet. Uh, Will Hill, I know you want to get on this. You, Will, you've, you've, been a, you've worked in sports media. You've worked in the betting industry. You've worked for a major league baseball club. I, I, know, I know that you, uh, you've got a, a take or two on this issue or topic. Sure. Yeah, there's a national intersection between sports media and sports betting. Uh, it, quite frankly, um, what we've seen historically um, is people are inclined to watch more and with greater interest when they have a financial interest in the outcome of the game as well as an emotional interest in the, in the outcome of the game. Uh, so when you can put it all together in one tidy package in the way that Mark is describing, well, all the better. Uh, I know over in the UK, uh, Sky does this quite well. Um, and uh, ultimately, I think it's probably going to be a model here, particularly when you now have sort of a proliferation of channels. I mean, uh, goodness gracious, uh, uh, in the movie Dodgeball, they joked about ESPN, the Ocho, uh, but I actually think they probably have that many platforms now. And, and, and ES, uh, TSN and Sportsnet both have uh, a number of channels available on linear television. Um, and so surely one can be spared in a way that actually creates uh, a new type of fan engagement to flash back to the very phrase that you began this segment with. Yeah. And, and just again, not, not to beat a dead horse here, but it, it is early days and major league baseball just announced a North American partnership with, with FanDuel last week that makes, makes uh, the operator of uh, an official or an exclusive betting partner. Now, I guess of, of major league baseball co-exclusive and we'll see how that's going to shake out. You know, the CFL gave uh, Owen Welsh a new title, uh, a month or so ago that that includes sports betting and that title and and you know we've seen the cfl they've been a bit slow the gate i think largely because bet bet regal that partnership deal bet regal hasn't been able to get its uh get its license to operate in ontario so um you know wait to see how what, what owen and the league do um in year two of the of the open market here in on, ontario and um uh, you know the the blue jays with the reno renovations that they're doing at the rogers center i mean what is does that change the relationship that the, the jays have with 
the, the score in that ten-year partnership. So it is early. Uh, Mark, just before we move in, like any any final thoughts on on you know what you took away from from your uh, four or five days in New York the past two weeks? Yeah, I mean the one thing I haven't really talked about yet was the OTT part of it and D to C and um, you know Nick Nick Meacham and the team at Sports Pro did a phenomenal job to close out the conference yesterday afternoon and basically went through every one of the major you know streaming platforms and had a panel of journalists rank them and I think the thing that doesn't really come north of the border um, are all these problems with, with two things so one of course is the RSN problem. We've talked about that a bit here. We won't get into it right now. The other part is that there are a couple platforms in particular. I mean, this is just my own opinion. You know, I'll point to uh, Discovery, which is really going through a hyper amount of flux globally, not 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 just in in uh, the United States, and also Peacock. And so there, there there is this sense that some of these services may fail for sports, and then it really becomes let's call it the great rebundling because as consumers. You know, in Canada, we don't really have much to complain about. It's on Sportsnet. It's on TSN. In the United States, it's like on 10 different platforms. Maybe it's on Linear. Maybe it's on OTT. Maybe it's through a league itself. And, and it's complicated. And not all these services have enough money and can access enough debt to not just buy the rights, but also then deliver the service and basically buy customers. And, and I'm sure everyone has been studying Disney's path here, which has not been a great one so far. Right. Um, let's move. Well, I'm hoping I could get you for a second. I'd, I'd, I'd love to get uh, a few takeaways. To, to be honest, I didn't see a lot of coverage from New Horizons last week. Um, we did uh, We did have a couple of tweets in the Thursday newsletter. Um, but uh, any, like, two two to three bullets that you, you want to give us from your time in Vancouver? Sure. Um, well, the headline story is an excellent, well-run, well-done conference. They, as per usual, uh, the folks at BCLC um, have turned out an excellent show. They, they do a very good job there, and pretty much in, in everything they do. But uh, this show is, is, is very reputable globally. Uh, it draws in RG advocates, researchers, clinicians. Uh, but what's encouraging to see, very much like the RGC's excellent discovery show this past fall, um, uh, is there's, there's operators and suppliers um that uh, um, that are, are are paying attention to uh, the latest news and, and best practices uh, in player health uh, and so that is very encouraging to see uh, good crowd on hand for the first in-person version of this event since 2019 um, everyone elated to be back together um, and uh, uh, some very good discussions um, are around the table what was quite interesting was you know the folks in BC, maintain um, a legislative monopoly over their online gambling. They, they, you know, BCLC's playnow.com is the only legal online gaming platform in that province. But they actually gave the mic and the stage to a number of different people from Ontario, uh, including Brett McCurdy from the AGCO, Bruce Cahill from Rush Street Interactive, Troy Ross uh, from TRM Public Affairs, um, to talk about the Ontario experience and, and talk about, um, you know, what's, what's gone on there so that people could hear, um, about, uh, a different set of perspectives, um, that, uh, uh, I, I think BCLC would obviously like to continue to live, uh, in a world where its competition is limited by, um, uh, uh legal regulation, uh, but, 
Um, if ultimately their government decides to follow the example of Ontario, well, the people there have sat up, take note, notice, and, and listen to some voices that are telling them all about it. So I give them full marks uh, for doing just that. Hey, Will, can I jump in for one second, Steve, and piggyback off that? Um, we were in BC for the Canadian Gaming Association AGM uh, just before Christmas, and uh, there was a lot of talk, uh, and BC had kind of set up a, a standalone uh, arm, kind of like IGO was in Ontario. Did you get the sense that they're moving toward that, uh, and and if it's going to be any any kind of quick move toward a potential market opening? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think that's the case right now. I still think that uh, the BCLC um, and British Columbia broadly is dealing with the repercussions and the aftershocks of a public inquiry into money laundering um, in casinos in the lower mainland. Uh, so I, I don't think there's going to be any rapid or significant changes to public gaming policy. Um, but, you know, I, I think ultimately... Um, there, there might be a change, just not immediately. Um, the, uh, uh, there, there could be change elsewhere across Canada before BCLC moves uh, or BC moves, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. You know, as I often remark, you know, we, we, we aspire for government to move at the speed of business, but oftentimes government moves at the speed of caramel. Hey, man, just, just quickly, you know, I've, I've, I pound the keyboard a lot on responsible gambling. There's a lot of responsible gambling content in the newsletter every week that, that, I, that I come across. And is there a, a, a storyline or a segment or, or it is something like, do you, does responsible gambling even become more prominent? Uh, just looking at Ontario and in, in year two of the Ontario market, do, do you see an even greater emphasis play, played around or more attention focused on responsible gambling? I think that just looking at sort of the expectations of IGO when it comes to the operators and the marketing advertising um, that they're going to be putting out the market, there certainly is um, a constant um, constant attention on that. Um, that is something that Martha Otten, who's the executive director, uh, talks about at a fairly regular level, which is, you know, they do kind of take note of which operators are, are putting out responsible gambling um, messages in the market. But I think too, like it comes down to, you know, have we done enough to educate customers? Are we putting enough information out there so that they are making informed and educated choices when they decide to open the account or make a bet? Um, and I think that as this market sort of trundles along and, and, and gets more years behind it, you know, we should have a very healthy uh, balance between people playing for entertainment and for enjoyment with money that they can afford to use for this purpose um, and really, really, you know, getting not just help for the people who need it, but making sure that people who shouldn't be using these products don't get access to it. So, you know, I also, in terms of banging the drum, um, there was supposed to be a province-wide self-exclusion program that was available around now. Um, and I think it's one of the, you know, I talked about the pain points in the market. Um, IGO has been pretty quiet on that. So hopefully there's some work happening behind the scenes and we can all be pleasantly surprised in the next few months when they update us. But, you know, it would really be, I think, one of the things that's still outstanding in terms of responsible gaming is having that piece of it launched so that every operator, including the land-based, including OLG facilities, 
any customer who goes to any of these places, if they self-exclude from one, they're, they're self-excluded from everyone. And I think that's just another layer of protection that we can offer, and hopefully we will be able to soon. We're almost you know, at the top. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Will. Because one of the things that I think is really worth reinforcing um, is that um, we're already in pretty excellent shape here. Globally, Canada is looked to as a leader in the field of responsible gambling. And towards that end, I'd remind you that uh, in 2014 and again in 2018, um, OLG became the first uh, and to date only two-time winner of the World Lottery Association's Award for Global Responsible Gambling Excellence. I mean, they were the best RG operator um, in the world two times over uh, in an award that's given out every two years. And, and just before the New Horizons Conference, BCLC uh, inked a new five-year extension on the licensing of its it built-in house responsible gambling program, GameSense, to MGM Resorts International, a, a global player um, in the gaming field. And that's just one of 11 operators that BCLC has licensed GameSense out to. So when you start thinking about the excellence of those two provinces, um, and then you look at what the different operators that have come into Ontario have done not just by dint of regulation or any kind of requirement through the registrar standards, but of their own volition. Um, I actually think um, we are setting a great standard um, here in Ontario, across Canada, um, for other operators all the way around the world. I, I hear no barking from Cleo, so I assume he's completely on board with that, that take as well, Will, so thank you. Um, we're at that. We're pushing the top of the clock. We're actually we're at the top of the clock, but uh, quickly, I want to get both Chris and Amanda in here about March Madness before we wrap up. And uh, you know, uh, Islers and Craycheck Gaming, which does an outstanding job covering the industry, especially in the U.S., they they put out a report this week, and they're estimating that uh, that the uh, amount of money wagered over during March Madness will be two and a half times larger than the than the Super Bowl this year. And uh, again, obviously, that's because of the number of games involved and uh, the American Gaming Association released information this week that that one in four Americans 25% will will play some kind of bet during the the men's uh, men's tournament um Chris, to to you quickly, like you, given what's going on, obviously it's a different market this year because it's regulated now. It's there's a lot of players, but is there anything you're looking at in terms of March Madness that whether it's in game betting or or uh, you know just Canadians having more access to bet on games? Anything that you're looking at? Well, in game basketball betting is is for us the most popular form of betting that we have uh, through NBA and NCAA. Um, I would say something different this year than in past years is just the number of bets that are available pre match. Uh, you know, you got, I'm talking like a year on out pregame. Um, you know, player props for for NCAA teams that nobody's watched all year uh, available to to bet. So there's a lot more options in terms of in terms of what's out there. And I would say uh, that number of one in four Americans probably holds true because it's very tribal amongst the the school, um, uh, you know, alma maters and and whatnot here uh, in the U.S. But I think Canada it'd be a little little less popular. I was going to say, man, like with, during your calls right now with your uh, with your American counterparts at Kindred, is there a lot of March Madness chatter? There is, and the pushes will be stronger to Chris's point in the states than they will be up here in Ontario. It's not to say that there's not a lot of interest in in college basketball up here, but to the same level as what we will see down in the states, I don't think it's going to be close. Right. 
um, for the record, I've taken Alabama to win the whole thing in the uh, in the homestand sports uh, bracket, but that that means absolutely I, I did zero re- research on that. So there you go. And I think we'll leave it at that. Amanda Brewer from Kinder Group, Chris Abbott from Botano, uh, Will Hill from Sightline Payments, Mark Silver from Parlay Media Group. Thanks, everybody. That was uh, that was a great great hour of, of chatter. And actually, w- w- wish we had another hour because we uh, we could have covered a few more topics today. But really appreciate your time. Um, everybody enjoy the the basketball games today and and the rest of the weekend. As always, we put out this LinkedIn audio, these shows as a podcast on, on Sunday morning. If you have friends in the industry and want to learn more about the gaming industry in Canada, please uh, recommend recommend Gaming News Canada uh, on Substack as, uh, as a, uh, a reading choice. We're here every Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock Eastern Time. Thanks for everybody who joined us this week, and we will see everybody again in seven days' time. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at GamingNewsCanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.